Hey again, travel bosses. I'm excited to bring you this week's sponsor, TripStreak, the smarter travel search. What I love about TripStreak is the ability to set your personal preferences to either have or avoid red-eye flights or have things like completely lie-flat seats. So the next time you need to book a flight, check out tripstreak.com slash travel like a boss. Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, the radio show all about traveling like a boss by being your own boss. Stay tuned for weekly interviews featuring guests that have built their own online businesses. If you would like to have access to our entire back catalog, visit travellikeabosspodcast.com for instant access. And here's your host, Johnny FD. Hey everyone, this is Johnny and welcome to episode 160 of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. I'm here today with Paul Van Stalin. Is that how you say it? Yeah, that's how you say it. Yeah. Uh, so not the, n- nothing to do with the actual Stalin. It's all differently. That is, that is actually like a tra- being a traveler. It's kind of like, I get you in the situations I was in Ukraine, like Van Stalin and everything. Stalin, Stalin. Um, Gonzalez in Mexico, Van Stalin. They always mix it up. Really? That's yeah. so funny. Well, the Van is a very Dutch thing, right? From yeah, Van, Van is Dutch. Van, okay, and you are from Holland? Uh, 100%, 100% Dutch. Super yes, Dutch? Super Dutch. Okay. Yeah. And you've been, you, you've had a very interesting job in life and you travel a lot, huh? Yeah, we've been doing, um, special advertising sections. Um, it's quite a small industry of a group of companies. There's like, I think four or five big ones and say 20 smaller ones. They do, they have contracts with media and they do country advertising sections on uh, different countries in the world trying to promote themselves. Uh, so the country is paying for you. Basically, whoever wants to be in the special advertising section pays. It can be governments or it can be uh, private companies, hotels, etc. And these are in magazines? Yeah, like um, the companies themselves, they try to get contracts with uh, large medias uh, in the world. So like uh, they can do it on video or they can do it uh, in print advertising. So it's uh, Fortune. We have a, we had a contract with Fortune magazine. Um, there's also like with, with CNN, they do video uh, advertising sections. Uh, like invest in Dubai and they publish it in uh, different different media, something like that. That sounds cool. So what what is kind of one example? So Fortune hires you to go to where and do what? No, like the company itself is the initiator. So we buy pages from Fortune and we try to resell them basically. So we got a good deal with them and we try to resell them to other advertisers. And we initiate um, the process. So we try to get an interview with head of state, say the president, the prime minister, or whoever, uh, high up in government, try to get their support during the meeting. And then with that support, we enter the market and try to sell to government and to private sector companies. So you've actually sat down with presidents of countries. Yeah, I've met quite a, quite a few, actually. I met with the then, I don't know if she still is, President Bachelet of Chile, um, the president of uh, Sri Lanka, uh, Mr. Roger Paksa. The Prime Minister of Peru, uh, President of Eritrea, President of Ethiopia. Maybe I'm forgetting something. That's yeah. crazy. <laughs> yeah. That's definitely traveling like a boss. Yeah, traveling like a boss. <laughs> Meeting the big boss. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So what is that experience like? I mean, just kind of think of one of those countries that you've been to. You, How do you get in touch with the President? How do you arrange the visit? Yeah, many people ask that. It's, it's basically just contact them, like call up, say, hey, this is a company name, et cetera, et cetera. We're looking to interview the president and then get in touch with the press secretary or the secretary of his office um, and just start the process. If they accept, the, you fly over there and, and meet with, with that person. I guess. And so, so do you say to them, 
you know, hey, my name is Paul von Stalin, and I'm writing a piece for Fortune magazine. I want to sit down with, with your president. Exactly. Yeah, you represent your company, a media agency, and said so like we're doing a piece on, let's say, Eritrea in this case. Uh, we'd like to interview the president to give his views, political views, like relationship with China in our case, um, his, his vision for the country, like strategic priorities of the of the government, uh, where you want to take the country, et cetera, et cetera. And basically, uh, these, these people want to promote their country, obviously, to attract investment, to attract tourism, to help the economy benefit from these, these advertising sections. So they're willing to do the interview with you. So that's cool. So the president obviously isn't, is not getting paid to, to get interviewed, but what they do is they kind of put the, they're, they're almost, you know, they are the spokesperson of their country and the people that, then after, let's say you, you, you get them on, they give you this great story, and then who did you talk to next? Yeah, so if you get the big boss, basically, you always want to get his help or her help, um, which helps a lot, especially, say, in African nations where it's more like a, you know an autocratic society and the president says, okay, these guys, you have to meet them and then people will meet. I, I can imagine away. that being pretty easy. <laughs> yeah, so you always look for that support or in terms of a letter or in terms of some phone calls and then you sit down with different ministers or like CEOs of different state-owned companies but also private sector companies. And then afterwards, like after the meeting that you have, you present them with some different advertising possibilities and hopefully you'll get them on board. So yeah, you'll stay in a country for about uh, between say two to four weeks up until like, six months to do a project. And um, yeah, if it works, then uh, you'll write a good piece on it and you publish in the magazine that you represent. And uh, yeah, that's... And so in... In the magazine, does it say like sponsored section or? In some, it depends on the contract that your media agency has with the media. Um, in some, they say, okay, we don't have anything to do with this content. It's a special advertising section, which it says on top. Um, and in some, it doesn't. It's just fully integrated into the magazine. Yeah. And depends. I guess that also depends on the way you're writing it because I'm assuming an interview with the president isn't just going to be an advert. It's going to be an actual interview with the president. Exactly. Like the pages are made up between like 50% editorial or more. And then the other part is, is uh, advertisements from different entities of the country. And what are some of these entities that advertise? Um, yeah, it's, it, it depends per country. Like some countries are very um, government-owned entities, state-owned enterprises, ministries, even presidents themselves that put the, the whole government up for, for advertising, uh, for promoting the country. Um, I, I think most money comes from government-owned entities, state-owned enterprises, um, state trading organizations, uh, ministers of tourism and the, the tourism boards, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It makes sense. Yeah. Would it ever be something like a hotel chain, like Hyatt? Sorry. Would it ever be like a hotel chain? Yeah, no, for sure. Hotel chain is tourism to attract tourists uh, from China. is one of the leading countries in the world right now. I think they got the most outbound tourism in, in the world at the moment. Yeah, the, the Chinese love to, to travel. Yeah, so they basically, the hotel chains, they, they, they put pictures of their hotels in there, um, small advertisements. It's, yeah. So... Let me get let the, get this straight because th- this is I think blowing a lot of people's mind because they've never heard of this as a possibility. They they never thought, hey, maybe I can call up the president <laughs> and say I'm going to come travel your country and have it be not only free travel. I'm assuming because it's part of your business expense, and you can see this cool country, and then you get get to get shown around by a world leader, but then also make money from this it's it's, it's kind of crazy yeah it's it's quite an interesting lifestyle i have to be honest um like the, the first i've been doing it for 10 years um roughly 10 years i think 
And the first couple of years, it's super exciting. You go to all these strange countries, like who goes to Eritrea? You know, nobody ever goes to Eritrea, probably. Uh, I've been to Sudan, Uganda, also parts of Asia. It's it's very interesting. And if you're if you're lucky, like especially smaller countries, you get a lot of things organized for you because you're there on a uh, an official visit, let's say. So you got people from the government trying to show you the country and make trips for you and organize things for you. So that's very interesting. Um, but also because of the fact that you're staying longer in a country, and so it's not just a two-week holiday or a one-week holiday. You're staying for a couple of months or like at least three, four weeks. You get to know the culture, the the the, the people. Uh, it's very interesting um, it, to think to experience yourself. You know, different cultures from all over the world, and it forms you, it shapes you. Um, after a while, I think it becomes a bit more difficult because you're constantly traveling, and also like the negative things of being away from a fixed place in your life means that you're uh, kind of losing your social, uh, long everlasting friends from before. They like they, they they tend to have their own families and they move a different way. So that's that's a bit um, a negative point of traveling so much. And and they might not be able to relate to you anymore because they see you know you post on your Facebook you know hanging out with exactly, the diplomats yeah. and they're still working their normal job. Maybe they almost kind of feel like. They don't even know what to say. Exactly. Yeah, you, you kind of grow apart, and your real friends they stay, but like acquaintances, they, they move out. They, they they do their own stuff. Um, so yeah, it filters out who's your your real friends in life. I think. Yeah, that's really interesting, and I'm sure you met met a lot of new friends on the way. Yeah, as well. sure, sure, sure. Okay, so let's kind of wrap this this part of it uh, into like an easy package for everyone. So if somebody you know wanted to do something like this, they would. Find a magazine, uh, such in your case, you did for, Fortune, a magazine in China, uh, and you 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 would buy the actual advertising section, so maybe a few pages or something, and then you would say, okay, what am I going to fill this up with? And I'm going to bring in my own advertisers for this space. Yeah, it's it's easier said than done because like the 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 the, the world leading media, they all already have agencies that work with them or it's kind of hard to to get in because they don't want to put advertisements like these in their uh, in their medias so it's quite hard but yeah in a nutshell yeah you just call up a media say can i buy some pages and put my advertisements there you mind if i resell them and, and put different advertisers in there that's the way it works that's yeah. crazy and then let's say you want to visit thailand you would get a hold of the king of thailand somehow <laughs> and say hey i want to interview you you know with with whatever this magazine magazine is and they say yes you show up. The some you know some diplomats will pick you up, bring you to his his kingdom, show you around, <laughs> make sure you have a good time. If you're lucky. Let's let's not not talk about Thailand because that project failed. Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> but, but still, but still, yeah. But I can imagine that this isn't as I definitely do not think this is as easy as. I don't think it's easy at all. But I, and I think it, it anyone really listening to this is not going to be like, oh, this is so easy. But it's a possibility. Yeah, it's, sometimes it is easy. Like sometimes you just call up and people are very interested in it and say like, okay, uh, in about two weeks of calling, it's like, yes, come on over and we'll arrange everything for you. It happens. Most of the time, it's a lot of hard work. Um, it's a lot of calling. You have to get the right people in. If you get the right people on board, it gets a lot easier. Like if you don't have the right people to start with, uh, it doesn't filter through to towards the bottom, towards the, 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 the private enterprises and you get stuck. And you're like, you know, you have to work very hard for your money. Um, it depends a little bit on country per country. L- little countries are easier. Um, there's only like 20 people that you want to see, that you want to publish, and that have the, that have the money to publish in, in, in media like that. Uh, and I can imagine that countries that really are trying to get 
the tourism economy boosted would is also welcome to this for sure like we we've done a couple of projects on maldives for instance like uh luxury travel yeah it's, it's it always works they they love it they, they want to promote our island island nations work as well because they're a bit secluded and they want to promote their their islands to get investments in and to get tourism tourism over there yeah. i like that that's actually yeah. a good idea for people if they're thinking about it and obviously they don't have to do this you know with a, a huge magazine like fortune they can even find a smaller magazine, maybe a, one that's kind of starting out that doesn't have enough advertisers, so they want to sell their space. Yeah, definitely. If you target smaller media, um, you have a chance. It's obviously it's harder to sell because if you have a small media with like twenty thousand readers, uh, in, in comparison with Fortune with like two million or three million, it's a different sale that you have to make. So you have to be good at sale at sales um, if you want to make it work. I like that, and I think also the the fact that you. Are calling up and saying, "I want to do an interview for Fortune magazine, which has a very big brand. Uh, it's you know, it's it has a lot of status. I would imagine that the person on the other end is more likely to want to do the interview versus if you call and say you were with, you know, Backpacker magazine or something smaller. Exactly. Yeah, you never beforehand say that there's a special advertising section, let's say, because that makes it a bit harder to get the people on board. But if you say yes, we represent this and that media." People are very, especially people in higher up positions, they like the media. They want to be portrayed in the media. Um, yeah, it also benefits them, you know, to get their name out and their achievements out. Um, it help, it's a good thing for them to be in the media. Yeah, and I think people like talking about themselves. And especially if someone's in a position of power, maybe they are from a small island nation like Maldives where they don't get a ton of press coverage. And every time they do, their economy grows because more people come. It sounds like a good, good idea. Yeah, because there's a lot of nations in the world that are quite small. You know, you have nations, four or five million people. Um, it's basically the size of Barcelona, size of London or like a big city. So it's basically saying, okay, I would like to have an interview with the mayor of London. Same size, same importance, let's say. Uh, yeah. So the little, little, little nations are easier to get than the, the large ones. So how did you, how did you get involved in all this? How, how did you start? Yeah. It, I think if I remember well, they came to my university when I was studying. Uh, they did a presentation to one of these companies and they're saying they're looking for people. Um, I went there and they said yes and I started, which was quite exciting. I was quite young still. Um, and the, the first couple of years were the most exciting for me because every country was exciting. You know, I was like, Do you remember what your first country was? I went to Panama. Okay, nice. Yeah, for a couple of months to Panama, so which you, I loved. You flew from Holland to Panama. Um, yeah, no, I was in Barcelona actually and I, I flew from Barcelona to Panama. Um, then the second country I went to was the Bahamas. Um, and then afterwards, I think it was Colombia. Um, yeah, different countries all over the world. And I, and seeing you talk about this and thinking back, I can kind of see that magic again. You're like, cause I can imagine how cool that was, right? Going yeah, like up the first, as, the yeah. first experiences leave the biggest mark. You know, Panama, I can remember vividly. Um, I think I've done over the last 10, 12 years, 40 countries or 35 or 40 countries. So it, down the line, you remember less because it becomes less interesting. Like all these countries, like, okay, another one, another one. Um, so altogether, you visited close to 40 countries. Yeah, something like that. And not only for free, but you got to get, you got to get, I mean, I, I'm assuming everything's covered by your business. Everything is covered, yeah. Your combination of food, your travel. Exactly. You get your, um, your daily expenses, about 45 US to eat and drink. Uh, you got your accommodation paid, your transport is paid for. Um, yeah, it's quite a quite a luxury and, lifestyle. And are they ever taking you out to show you their their country? 
Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, like you meet up with people there. You try to be socially active because that's what makes it fun. Like the destination as such is it, it helps. You know, if you get a cool country, it's nice. But I think what makes it a good experience is the people that you meet. You can be in a, the nicest place, but if you don't have nice people that, you know, to go out with, to have fun with, it doesn't, it doesn't add to the experience. And so how do you, how do you normally meet people when you travel? Yeah, you have to be a bit outgoing. Like normally you go in a team of two, three. Um, so you have your, your first, you know, your first couple of friends already there and you, you're there together to explore the country and then you meet people. It's very easy. Um, but also through like social apps, like, um, what are they called? Like internations, uh, things like that. Facebook events, just Tinder. go there. Yeah, Tinder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for the girls. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's just being outgoing and, uh, with the introduction of the people that you have meetings with, yeah, you get quite far. And are you ever hanging out with any of these diplomats or any, any? No, for sure, because that's the necessary thing to do. I mean, like, if you want to get to the people on top, it's not only, okay, here's my letter. Um, I would like to meet you. It's more like, uh, okay, I've met the president or I met this minister. Or I met the CEO. Give me a recommendation to your friends because in a country like the top one, two percent of, of earners and, and, and powerful people, they all know each other. They meet each other on a daily basis or on a weekly basis, whatever. So it's, it's very nice to have an introduction for people, a lot of networking. Um, that's crazy. So your Rolodex, I mean, must be full of not only like influential leaders and politicians, but also millionaires, maybe even any billionaires. Yeah. I met a couple of billionaires. Cool. I don't, I don't remember their names, but it was a big miner in, in Peru that I met. And I later learned that he was a, a billionaire. Um, yeah, a couple of billionaires. Yeah. So I don't know if you realize how different your life is than most people. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's funny. Like I never think about it, you know. I just rolled into this lifestyle, and now I, I stopped it because the travel became too much, and I'm I'm getting a bit older. I want to settle down. Uh, but a lot of people actually that I meet now say like, "Oh, you got a very interesting lifestyle. If you had like interesting experiences, you know, yeah, you're right, it's definitely." Like, yeah. And and that's why it's good to share these things before you you completely retire from or you completely get burnt out from it because it's really easy. And this is a good point. I'm glad you brought this up because I think no matter how amazing your job is or how amazing your travel life is, eventually you're going to, you know, want something different. And it, it doesn't mean that those years was a waste or a bad idea. It doesn't take away from it at all. It just means that you've enjoyed it and now you want to do something else. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the first, like I said, the first year were just exciting, 100%. Like everything was great. Um, then after a while, it's, you start to realize that there's negative points to traveling so much. And after an even longer while, you just want to quit. You know, it's, it's too much. You're not enjoying it anymore. I remember that I was in Chile doing a project, one of my last projects. Um, and I, I sat in a bus and I was like, well, what am I going to do with my life? Where am I going today? You know, it's like, and it's just like, I made a decision. Let's go back to Europe. Let's settle down. It was like a whole burden falling off my shoulders. Like, yes. Finally, you know, no more traveling, just looking forward to settling down, uh, starting a normal life. Um, however, I'm not throwing the whole thing away. I, yeah. I like to keep the door open to travel again, uh, but it feels nice now to, to be settling down. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. I think so for me, you know, I haven't done the same route as you, but I also got to live in a lot of different places, mainly through scuba diving. So I've lived on, I think, six different tropical islands in the world. And my dream used to be like, I just want to go to go to any job island and because i was working as a dive master i was able to just travel for you know maybe not travel for free but once i got there i got to live for free either in the at the resort or staff accommodations a lot of times i got free food or at least i got enough to continue living there and obviously i got a scuba dive for free because i was working there and there'd be people who would come on their honeymoon or on a vacation 
and they would spend thousands of dollars to come diving, and I got to do that for free. And towards the end, I started dreading. I hated it. I hated waking up. I hated going into the water. Um, it's but I'm so happy that I documented the whole journey while I was still excited about it. It's really funny that you bring it up. Like my first, I, th I think I first left Holland when I was 17. I went working in Mallorca for a year, for half a year, like, a, like one of these seasons, right? Um, holiday season. And my, my goal was, I always wanted to travel. And I thought like, how am I going to do that? And my first thing that came to mind, I did my diving, my paddies over there in, in Mallorca. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's the way forward, you know? And, uh, get my dive master and um, work in different resorts over the world. So it's funny that you brought that up um, because that was my initial plan. But it just shows that there's so many different ways to be able to live this lifestyle. A lot of people think that they have to become a millionaire first to be able to travel to all these you know, crazy cool places or they have to retire already. But a lot of people don't realize that there are either opportunities out already or opportunities you can create to allow you to travel as much as you want you know, on the business's budget or for free uh, and earn money while you're doing it. And that way, it's kind of the best of both. Yeah, I think it's like, especially now, no, there's there's more opportunities to do so. I think, you know, students start within their university, do a pre an internship abroad. That's the first step for many. Um, but there's many more opportunities than there were before. I mean, your parents basically went to school, university, got married, job for life, uh, retire and, you know, but now everybody's doing their own thing and there's so many more opportunities out there that you can uh, search for. I mean, you don't necessarily need to know that, you know, right now that they're all existing. But there's so many more opportunities that you can explore in different paths if, if you want to travel and explore the world. There are many more opportunities that you might not know of. Did you grow up in Amsterdam or in a smaller... No, a very town? small village or like a little city, like 50,000 people close to Germany. Yeah. Wow, that's really small. Yeah, like farmer type, like cows and, and, and goats and horses. And yeah. And were your parents born and raised there? Um, no, no. I don't know where we ended up. My, my grandparents lived close by there. And I think my mother moved back because of that. To that okay. Area. How, what did they think when you first told them that you got this job and you're going to be traveling the world? Yeah, I mean, like they're all very supportive. I mean, um, obviously it was, you know, they, they, they missed me having me around at times. Um, but they were very supportive, like do whatever you want to do and follow your, you know, what, what, what you, uh, want to do in your life. You can, we, we support you in that. That's cool. And but earlier when you said, you know, you've, your life, uh, has kind of outgrown some of your old friends. I can completely imagine, especially the people that you went to school with, that maybe some of them are still living in that little village. <laughs> Have you been, been back? Yeah, no, I've been back there and some people are still in that village, but it's funny because the the reason why I want to settle down right now is something that they have already achieved. It's like you said, you're, you're tired of being in the most beautiful resorts in all of our pristine islands. You know, I've traveled for 10 years and I'm fed up with that. And like people that, um, have stayed in that little village, they, they, they got to have a family and children already. And that is something that I would like to have now. So everybody's always a bit jealous about what the other person has, you know? Um, and I know people that are happy having stayed in that village and I know people that are not happy having stayed in that village. You know, it just depends on how you see life and what is right for you. And at the time as well. Yeah, exactly. Like for me, if I would have stayed there, I would have gone completely insane, you know? And so I'm very happy that I did it and that I went away and explored the world. Um, and other people actually, I know, I know that have, re that have regrets not having done that. But other people are very happy. You know, this is not for me, and I would 
Uh, there's nothing else I would rather have than being here in that little village, and this is my life. So yeah, I definitely agree with that. I, I think the the biggest thing to think about though is about timing, as in assuming that you know most people at some point is going to want to do do something else. It's a lot better for us to have got this out of our system first. Yeah, than yeah. the opposite. Yeah, some sometimes you just have to get something out of your system. Okay, I've done that. Know how it is. Um, and I also think like things that you've done before are easy to go back to. You know, um, I, I'm not saying I want to give up travel forever. Um, I want to go back to certain countries and I want to visit friends that I've met on the way. Um, I want to keep the options open, but for now, um, not so much anymore. Yeah, and but it's not like your life is just you know sitting in this little village in Holland, boring. We we are currently in this 12th century monastery in the mountains of Catalonia. Yeah, exactly. We should have had a, a podcast in, instead of a podcast right now because it's quite beautiful here. Um, and yeah, exactly. We're right here with, with a co-workation and a co-working space with people from the industry, I believe, um, that are trying to set up also different, um, how do you say that, concepts in life, work concepts and uh, location-independent travelers and workers. Um, that work from their laptops to different different sectors, and that is also like an opportunity for people that want to, uh, you know, want to get out and explore the world. Perhaps um, look into that segment because it's also an interesting opportunity. So, I personally know a lot of guys who are in their mid thirties or you know maybe a little bit older, their early forties, and they went the traditional path where they started a family, they got married, they had kids. Maybe they had a good job. Maybe they actually made a lot of money. But now they are unhappy. You know, some of them have been through a crazy divorce and they have, you know, they're fighting for, you know, to see their kid. They might be paying, you know, this crazy alimony. But even the people that like everything is okay, but now all of a sudden they're, you know, late 30s or 40s and now they want to travel and party and, First, they can't find anyone to do it with them right. because all their other friends are either married or settled down or have already traveled and did all this cool stuff and now they're ready to settle right, down. Right, so, right. so it's really bad timing. Right. You want my advice on yeah. for them? <laughs> Maybe I don't know so much about that because I've not been there. Um, yeah, it depends on your situation again, the timing. I mean, like if you're with your family, um, I, I think that's different. Um, but yeah, if you've gone through a rough divorce and you're, uh, you're not attached to to some location or some some life that you had before just go for it i'd say look up the possibilities uh, buy a ticket somewhere and explore the world and do what you what makes you happy i'd say no i mean don't feel restraints and say okay i'm this might happen or, or that might happen you know just like go for it and see where it goes when you have like one life enjoy it yeah i like it you've definitely enjoyed it out of all those how many countries do you think you've been to now yeah, I really don't know. I think like for work around 30 or 40. Um, and then for, for, for personal travels a bit more, um, maybe 50, 60 or something. Wow. That's yeah. cool. Well, which countries, which country was the worst that you would never go back to? Nah, it's very difficult to say. Like a lot of people ask me, like, what's the best and what's the worst? Um, you know, on paper, a country like Sudan would have been the worst, but I've had a very good time there. You know, it's like lovely friends, uh, good social life. Um, so like, like I said, I mean, for me, it's not so much about, the country it doesn't necessarily have to be pristine beaches, a tropical paradise, uh, going out and you know, all the possibilities for good tourism. Um, it all depends for me on the people that you meet there. And that starts with your personal 
uh, take on, on, on life, on the project, on the country that you're at, the timing. And sometimes you don't feel like going out, meeting new people because you know that in three months, you know, they're out of your life again. So why waste the energy? Um, but if you do that from the beginning, if you go to a country where you don't know anybody, have a lot of positive energy, the people will get to you. Um, they'll take you into their groups, into their lives. They'll invite you to, to come with them on social events. Uh, and it will probably go easier than expected. So the worst, you know, the worst or the, the, the best country. I think, yeah, it does go a little bit hand in hand with good tourism. I like, I like tourists, touristy places, touristy countries. Um, because they're a bit more outgoing, they're a bit more like welcoming, there's a bit more activities to do, things to see. Um, but still, if you don't have the right people around you in, in a country like that, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't match with being in a worse country, but with good people. It's funny that you say that you like touristy countries because a lot of the travelers that I meet want to avoid that. They want to go somewhere where no one's ever seen a white person or right. go somewhere kind of off the beaten path. Because they want a more authentic experience. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think I had that in the beginning. Like, in the beginning when I was traveling, I was looking for places where there were no Dutch people. You know, it's like, okay, I'm Dutch. I don't want to meet any Dutch people. And a lot of people told me, like, I'm German. Yeah, I want to avoid the Germans. Um, but later on, it's like, you know, it's it's it kind of blurs in with, yeah, whatever. Um, and I do think, I personally, I like a bit of tourism. You know, it's like uh, a good beach, like, Nice people, Caipirinha uh, or Margarita with with the tourists. It's it's quite nice for personal travel. I think I agree. You know, if I if I would go travel now, I would like to, I would still love to visit the Himalayas or Japan or something off the beaten track. Mongolia seems very nice to me, like the, the, the highlands over there. So yeah, for like a holiday, I think I would visit uh, a bit more what you were mentioning, like um, I don't know how you described it, but like the the, the, the weirder countries now, or like the off the beaten track. But for work, you know, for work, it's nice. I, I find it a bit nicer if there's a lot of expats uh, that you can relate to, you hang out with, if there's a lot of tourist activities to do, if there's a lot of tourism, the country must be beautiful. Um, so, yeah, it's maybe a bit different between personal travel and work travel. Yeah, I, I can never see that. I, I think for me, I like countries that have or places that have infrastructure, but are not overcrowded. Right. Yeah. One country is really good is the Philippines. Like Philippines is it's a bit like similar to Thailand. If you, if you like Asia, um, but it's not so well developed yet. Also, because there's like more than seven thousand islands, I think, and it's quite it's a bit more expensive than Thailand. So a lot of tourists tend to go to Thailand and Vietnam, Laos, but the Philippines and people speak English is a bit easier. is is very beautiful and there's less less tourists and less people, and it's really really pretty. Yeah, definitely, and it's almost one of those things where depending on what year you listen to this podcast, if you're listening to it live now in 2017. Or if you listen to it two or three years from now, a lot, places change really fast. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, you know, Koh Phangan, Thailand, where it's famous for the full moon party. You know, just a few years ago, it wasn't very built up. There wasn't that many hotels yet. It wasn't, you know, the party The party itself has been going on for a long time. But it's always been a little bit harder to get to. And I first heard about it in Maxim magazine, like, when I was a teenager. I think it was, it was a long time ago. And then they described it as this, like you know, deserted island, <laughs> like almost nothing there. And I actually remember reading and thinking, you know, where do you sleep? You know, like, do you do you have to leave the island and sleep on the next island? Right, I, did, I didn't know that. I went to Koh Phangan once, I think it was like five, six years ago. And that was already when the full moon and the half moon and the black moon, and I know how many moons they had there, parties were there. So I don't, I don't know from before, but yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I remember one place which I loved, which was um, 
San Blas in Panama. It's like it's an autonomous region within Panama. And basically, there's there's no electricity, there's no infrastructure, there's nothing there. And the people that live there are indigenous. It's an Indian tribe. Indian, right? Indian tribe. And they refuse to sell. They've had offers from like Marriott's and the, the Westins and for millions of dollars, but they don't want to sell their property and, or their land. And, you know, it's, it's, you can see that there's, there's such a big difference between a place like that and a place like Copanyang where it did happen and like the tourism wave came and like absorbed the whole island. But it's this, it's this thing about, I almost think as it's not a bad thing in with capitalism where if a place really is amazing, it really is that beautiful, maybe has clear water or good scuba diving or, you know, nice beach or whatever it is. Obviously, people want to go. And when people want to go, they need a place to stay. So people are going to build hotels and restaurants there. And unfortunately, you know, what, what happens is eventually gets overbuilt. And that's when people start saying, oh, it's, you know, I don't like the place anymore because it's, it's too touristy or too whatever. But the whole reason why it became too touristy or, or too built is because it's a great place. I, I think it's very hard to find a balance. You know, you have to manage it well. Um, some places are not managed well and you see that the tourists are leaving their trash and the trash is not picked up and then the whole, you know, the destination, what made it beautiful before is not beautiful anymore. So the, the, the whole, how do you call that in English? Like the whole product life cycle of a, of a tourism destination because it's a product. Uh, I'm goes, curious how you say that in Dutch. Yeah. How do you say that in Dutch actually? Um, but like, you know, it goes quite quickly and it's, it's all about how you manage it. If you keep it clean, not overbuild it, um, not be greedy, uh, like sustainable tourism management, I think. I, I definitely agree. And I think more countries need to, to think long term. Yeah. It's, well. it's very hard because I, I, I see that like in more developed countries, it's easier because there's more governance. It's more organized. There's more control. And like the, the places that are beautiful. They're often, well, not often, there's different places, but a lot of places are in less developed countries, which makes it harder to control. And uh, there's not so much, you know, infrastructure management and how to how to sustainably manage destination. So you see that a lot of destinations are really pretty. Um, people want to make money, a lot of tourism come and it goes quite quickly. And then the, the, the destination itself is in decline. Yeah. And, and what's crazy and it's sad, but they almost kind of deserve it sometimes is they overbill, get greedy and this tour stop coming Yeah, because they, we just move on somewhere else. And I feel bad for, you know, people that, you know, maybe spend their life savings to, you know, build a hotel during the peak, you know, even Copenhagen is kind of a good example where I think it's at the peak right now. I don't think it's going to get even more popular because it's already the most popular place, but because it's so overbuilt now and because people are kind of trashing it now and it's getting, you know, people, people there are getting a bit greedy. So customer service isn't as good anymore. The beach isn't as clean anymore. It's not as, you know, beautiful anymore. People are going to find the next island and move on. And as a tourist, the hack would be find the next place that not everyone knows about. Um, but I do feel bad for the, those places. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's true. I mean, I hope Thailand will survive because Thailand is, 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 is gorgeous. It's a gorgeous country. It offers a lot of different destinations. Um, yeah, I, I don't know where the next big thing is. I think the Philippines is going to catch up. Uh, other surrounding countries like Vietnam and, and what do you have there? Uh, Laos, uh, Myanmar is up and coming. Uh, yeah, you have to spot the destination. Yeah, but not, not even like a new country. I think sometimes just within the country. So. A new destination. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's so many islands in Thailand. That people don't even talk about, you know. Right now, everybody goes to, you know, 
Phuket, which isn't even really an island. Right. Um, Koh Phangan, Koh Samoy, and then maybe Koh Tao if you're a younger backpacker. But very few people hear about all the islands in the south of Thailand uh, or even places like Koh Chang. Uh, and in other countries, the same thing. Like Philippines, there's so many there are islands that if one gets a little bit overpopulated, I think what happens is most people kind of just find the next one. But there's that kind of that – for me personally, I – I'd like seeing those picturesque, beautiful, untouched, you know, islands with nothing on there. But I don't want to stay there long, long term. I don't even want to stay for a week because I'm not unplugging from anything. I think if I was on a honeymoon and I just and I've been working seventy hours a week for the last four years, I'd want to go somewhere with no infrastructure at all, no Wi-Fi, no electricity, no roads, no no buildings, and just lay there. But now I'd rather go somewhere that has just enough. Yeah, I mean, one interesting destination where I found that, where I found that is is the Maldives because the Maldives is is uh, marketed everywhere as as the luxurious, um, you know, pristine beach and it looks gorgeous. All these atolls that you have there, and it is really gorgeous. But I mean, you pay. I think that the cheapest hotels start at eight hundred per night, and it goes up to like six, seven, eight thousand per night. Um, I spent two and a half months in Maldives in in Mali, in the capital city, which is terrible. Um, we got invited to several resorts over there. Like every weekend we went to a different resort, which is, which is great. But like after one day I was bored, you know, it's the, the island itself is like 20, uh, you walk around in 20 minutes and, and that's it. It's, it's gorgeous. Like your, your room is luxurious. You have a infinity pool. You have your jacuzzi. Uh, you got fish swimming around your, your, um, uh, sea villas. But, you know, it depends on, on where, why you're there for and what the circumstances are. If you go on honeymoon, it's perfect. You know, you don't need anything else. But if you're there with some friends and you want to party or something, you're bored after 20 minutes because that's what you do. It's, it depends on the circumstances, why you travel, what you're looking for, and uh, what the circumstances are. So I actually have heard of the Maldives. I've seen beautiful photos. And I actually considered living there for a while. Where? So I don't even know the name of all the different islands, but... I almost kind of was thinking, maybe I'll live on any of the islands. Because they're all... So if you guys don't know, Maldives is a small island nation. Kind of like Holland in a sense where God does not want them to exist. It's it's a gorgeous place. I mean, like, it's it's atolls. It's, I think, an atoll. I don't know exactly what it is, actually. But I think it's like coral that is, is piled up into, like, a very long... How to describe it? Like a, a column. And the top, the top of that column just, like, goes on top of the... Like, it dips out of the water. So I think the highest point in Maldives is two and a half meters uh, in the in the whole nation. So it's quite flat, and then the atoll is quite steep. So if you if you actually go into the ocean as a diver, I don't know if you've been there. I haven't been there yet, but no, as a diver, it's it's amazing because you actually can can dive, say like to eighteen meters or whatever, on on the, the side of the atoll and the current. Like you can basically sit in a in a yoga position, and the current like. Like, spins you around spins the you around. island. Wow! You sit like this and watch the coral and watch the fish, and it's it's quite amazing for diving. Yeah, that's so amazing. And, and earlier, I, when I said God doesn't want you to exist, it's a joke. But what what's happening is as sea levels are arising, the island is being threatened to be no. It's a serious away. thing. I yeah. mean, they're they're um they're actually I don't know if they've done it, but they're buying um the 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 nation of Maldives is buying territory in Australia. For just in case the whole island nation will disappear in the, in the ocean, yeah, yeah, that's sad. And and ho- the way Holland is related is 
it's you guys are so flat and the water is rising that if it wasn't for your dikes yeah half the nation is underwater yeah i think half the half the nation of holland is under sea level uh two up as eight or nine meters i think yeah that's insane yeah we, we had to build some dikes <laughs> so the the kind of travel hack on why or how i was gonna live in the maldives is as a scuba diver especially if you're an instructor but also maybe if you're a dive master a lot of these resorts want like they need help uh, yeah on but usually it's a one-year contract yeah you haven't done it right i haven't done it i wouldn't go if i were you no i and i think at the time i was already hesitant even though i was still really excited about diving i thought it'd be amazing yeah. you've already earned good money you earn great money yeah uh you get decent accommodations you yeah you normally don't get a sea villa for yourself but like okay accommodations on a beautiful island some yeah. of the best diving in the world yeah but it's a very very it's, strict. It's spot. also a lot of resorts outsource it, so they offer a contract for somebody like you to build their own dive resort or their own um, dive school, so you can uh, establish your company in one of the resorts. But like like I said, me personally, I wouldn't want to be there for more than uh, a week or two weeks because you get so bored. You walk around an island in in, in twenty minutes, and that's it. Um, as a as a dive master, maybe it's different because you have your your regular day to day schedule. You go for diving, and diving is great. Um, but it limits your life in a very, uh, how do you say that, in a, in a, in a big way. In terms of you can't leave the island, there's not so much to do, et cetera, et cetera. I've met a lot of people who have actually done this, and they all say the same thing. The money is great. The diving is world famous. It's some of the best in the world. It's so beautiful, but you get bored so fast. Yeah, yeah. And that's why a lot of, a lot of them only hire couples. Because at least you have someone to keep you entertained. Yeah, it's it's like do if I, if it were me, I would love to go back to Maldives for my honeymoon, but just like two three days, just enjoy it, spend a lot of money on your accommodation, and enjoy it for your honeymoon, but not more than that. So I think to kind of wrap this up, I think the big takeaway from at least this part of the story is be the the best life would be to be able to go to these amazing places and either travel on the business expense where you can go for free or. You know, maybe you can get a job. Um, you know, figure out a way where you can afford to go to these places. Either you make so much money at your actual business has nothing to do with it. You just go for a holiday, go for a vacation, go for a honeymoon, or figure out a way where you can, you know, have your business pay for. I it. think maybe one interesting um, concept to mention is there's also a lot of websites in which you can offer a lot of services, your own services, translation services, uh, personal assistant services, your own. Um, uh, marketing campaign services. A lot of things can be done online. You have you have uh, websites like Upwork and what used to be Odesk, and people just make money on there. And you can connect to the internet from everywhere in the world. And if you can do that, if you can find a service that is wanted that there's demand for, you can just work from your laptop and get paid through a website. Uh, there's not so much difference as, as working from a company from a uh, yeah inside an office. And, yeah, and definitely. And there's you know. Pretty much every single person we've had on the show has been some kind of digital nomad or location independent, you know, uh, entrepreneur or a freelancer, like you had just mentioned. So you can, you know, you can still go there on vacation while making money. I don't know if you're going to make eight hundred dollars a day freelancing <laughs> while there, but at least you have something coming in. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think yeah, just go for it. It's not that difficult. If you want that, if I think that's your audience, uh, people that are might be hesitating or how to do it exactly. Um, yeah, just give it some time. Think about it. There's many ways how you can do that. And um, don't be afraid. Just go for it. You can always go back. And, and you'll, you'll figure it out, guys. Exactly. You'll figure it out on the way. I love it. Uh, so, Paul, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, 
do you do you use Instagram or website or anything? Um, yeah, you want my personal website? Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, which website? Or what do you what do you mean? My uh, Facebook or yeah, people want to get in touch with you. Ah, uh, well, yeah, you can email or uh, up to you. Yeah, I mean, if you want, I don't know, hundreds of people emailing you, but maybe not. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, look, yeah, I don't know. Look me up on Facebook. It's Paul von Stalin. Okay, sounds good. And uh, yeah, let's go enjoy the rest of this this trip here. Sound, sounds good. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being on. Dankjewel. Bye-bye. <laughs> See you guys all next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed this week's interview. Paul really is an, an aspiring guest. I mean, it's, it's amazing. And I really want to stress that even though you know people like Paul uh, or myself who have been traveling so much or now, I don't want to say bored of, of traveling as, so much, but we want to, you know, stay in one place a little bit more and settle in places like, you know, Barcelona or um, you know, wherever that might be. It doesn't mean that you guys who are beginning your journey shouldn't enjoy the crap out of it and realize, hey, the only thing that we should kind of take away from that or learn from it is once you stop enjoying it, then stop and move on. I think that's the biggest takeaway is do exactly what you think is going to make you happy, what what you're going to love and what you think is going to make you happy, regardless of how crazy this idea is, whether it's you know traveling the world as a digital nomad or traveling the world interviewing presidents of nations and countries. Whatever it is, it's possible. There's a way to do it and enjoy it, enjoy it, enjoy it. But as soon as you stop enjoying it, you have the option to move on and do something else. And that might be, you know, working on a small organic farm out in the middle of nowhere or living on this monastery uh, where we are hanging out for for the week uh, or moving to Barcelona. So I hope you guys enjoyed this. And I want to give a big thank you for everyone who's been spreading the word, telling your friends about this podcast, you know, um, sharing on social media, emailing your friends about it. This is how we grow the Travel Like a Boss podcast uh, and get, you know, cool, amazing guests on each and every single week. Also, a big thank you to everyone who's taking the time to leave a review on the iTunes store. You guys rock. I, I know iTunes is a little bit clunky. So the fact that you guys take the time to figure it out, big thank you for that. So this week, I want to say thank you to Brooke Craven from the US. She says, awesome podcast, five stars. Johnny FD gives inspiring, life-changing advice in this can't miss podcast. Also, big thank you to our sponsor, TripStreak. The next time you guys need to book a flight and want to be able to have the option to to choose what type of arrangements you like, whether it's red eye only, uh, or if you you know hate flying overnight, you want to fly during the day, or if you want completely lay flat seats if you're flying business class instead of reclining seats, whatever it is, or if you're planning your next trip to the Maldives to go scuba diving. Check out tripstreak.com slash travel like a boss. Thanks again, and I'll see all of you guys next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Travel Like a Boss podcast. If you want to hear more, including the bonus, how to choose the perfect niche episode, join our mailing list at travellikeabosspodcast.com. See you next week, and remember, if you want to travel like a boss, you need to be your own boss. So start your online business today, and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of.